0: where we talk about show business, old friends, and new adventures. It is my pleasure to be here with the amazing actor and musician, Scott Moreau. Scott is from Litchfield, Maine, and he has a BFA from Illinois Wesleyan University. And he is a 21-year veteran of the stage and 10 years in Actors' Equity Association proud member of Actors' Equity, right? And he's known for his performances as Johnny Cash, both in the show Million Dollar Quartet, and he does many tribute shows as Johnny Cash. He travels all around the United States, and it's my pleasure to welcome him today. So Scott, I wanted to ask you about if you had a special moment in your childhood or if there was something that sparked your desire to become a professional actor?
1: Well, I guess there are a few things. Um, growing up, my, my parents were not really involved in the arts, but they definitely enjoyed them. And so they would take me to performances at Main State Music Theater in Brunswick, Maine, um, really all the time when I was little. I don't think I appreciated it as much when I was, when I was quite small. But um, So I was introduced to the arts at a pretty early young age. Um, really, uh, but there I think everyone does actually have that one moment, and that one moment for me was uh, I was just about to turn fifteen uh, my family and I, uh, my parents and my brother uh, we took sort of a once in a lifetime trip to london, and you know i 'd never been outside of the 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 united states i 'd never been outside of the United States or Mexico, so to go across the pond was a you know real big deal as a fourteen year old and we watched, um, we saw Les Mis, and it was, again, I was I was just about to turn 15, and I laughed, I cried, and I just looked up at the stage, and I was like, that's, that's what I've got to do. I've got to do that. I don't know if I can, but that's the thing I want to do, I think.
0: That's amazing. I love those moments. I had a moment like that, too, on a school trip. We went to see Annie on Broadway, and I just saw the whole staging and how they brought the set pieces in and out. And I just, it was like a lightning flash. I was like, okay, that's going to be me. And I'm going to live in the city someday and do that. So that's amazing. So we have a common connection with Main state music theater. So how much fun is it for you now when you get to perform on stage and you used to go see shows when you were a child? How is that?
1: Um, I mean, it's a blessing. It, you know, my, my history performing on Main State's stage is um, is relatively small, though I will say I got my first professional job there in 1999, so um, sort of any time I come back now, it's a really nice homecoming. But, yeah, it's it. I mean, it was always my Broadway growing up, so though I have yet to make my actual Broadway debut, hopefully that's still in the cards.
0: It's definitely coming, Scott.
1: So growing up and seeing all of those shows... And really what all of the shows that introduced me to theater and my love for theater, um, being able to see those shows at Main State and then to be able to perform on stage there. Yeah, I mean, it is it's sort of a dream come true because it was my Broadway growing up.
0: So for those listeners who haven't been to Main State Music Theater, it is a 62 year old institution started by Vicki Crandall, a lovely woman. And she brought a theater troupe to Brunswick, Maine, and to this day, we perform on the the Bowdoin College campus. And it's, what, 565 seats? Is that correct? That sounds
1: about right to
0: me. Yeah. So it's not a tiny theater, but yet it doesn't feel enormous. I love performing there because I can really feel like the audience is so close and there's a real sense of community up there. I love Maine, I'm hoping to live there someday. But I got to see Scott perform last year at a wonderful supper club, 54 Below. And a woman from Maine, Maine State, gave me some tickets that she wasn't able to use, the lovely Jeanette. Isn't she the sweetest woman?
1: Yes, yeah, she really
0: is. She's so kind. So she gave us tickets and we came down to see your show. We were sitting right in the front, and you gave such a wonderful performance as Johnny Cash. Tell us about that show, that particular show that you did last year.
1: Well, I was—I um, don't know. I, it, looking back now, it seems silly, but I guess at the time I was getting a little—I was getting a little um, antsy. I, ha- I hadn't had. Um, I didn't have any shows coming up which, you know, now seems like an, an eon ago and, you know, two two months of work is nothing compared to what we're going through right now. However, uh, I was a little I don't know, I was antsy and I was just trying to think of how I could incorporate, you know, all that is that I do as a tribute artist and put it into a show that was literally a one-man show. My other tribute shows are, you know, me and a band, but I thought, "Well, what how can I work this out so that it's just me and a guitar?" And so over a course of a couple of months, I sat down and really kind of fleshed out um, the songs that I wanted to use, the anecdotes, the stories um, that he told in his voice that I wanted to use. And um, I created this show called Late and Alone, and I premiered it there at 54 Below. And it's based on um, an actual series of recordings that Johnny made between about 1976, 77 and 84 maybe, Uh, he had a cabin recording studio across the street from his house in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and he would just go in there with his guitar and sort of flip on the microphone and sort of stream of consciousness, just record a bunch of songs that either he had always loved, maybe some he had grown up with, some were gospel songs, some were traditional songs, and he doesn't so much narrate as he just talks about why they had such an impact on him. So basically, I used that as an inspiration to create a one-man show that sort of showed the the breadth of um, his life experience and experience through music sort of from the very beginning of his songwriting to to the very end.
0: Do you find any similarities between you and Johnny Cash?
1: I don't think there are that many similarities between us, I guess. I mean, I find a lot of inspiration in his story and his music. I think what I found... Well, at least some common ground with was just being from a very rural area. I mean, obviously, Arkansas and Maine are very two very different places, and he grew up a sharecropper's son, and I grew up the son of two educators in the state of Maine, so that's not all that similar. Um, but growing up in a very small town based on agriculture, um, and just being from sort of meager beginnings, I think I at least understood where it was that he came from. I've just always gravitated to his authenticity and um, just the uh, his ability to tell stories. Again, whether it's through music or it's just through his his writing, his his poetry, or you know the interviews he gives, uh, he he just had such an an interesting and authentic voice. And um, I, I guess I've just always gravitated toward him because of how honest he was.
0: When did Johnny Cash pass away? I feel like it just happened, but yet I know it's been a while.
1: He passed away in 2003, which is crazy to think about now. I mean, I, you know, every year I celebrate his his birthday and unfortunately the day that he passed. Um, But yeah, I mean, he really is sort of this this lasting figure. It's crazy to think that he's been gone for 17 years. Um, But I think... I think that is a testament to to the fact that he was an everyman. The fact that he was uh, he was always a champion for for the underdog, and he always championed so many different um, causes. I mean, he was one of the first people to sort of really vocally and in public champion prison reform. Um, you know, he, he really just was a dynamic and and um, very important figure, and that's why he's been so lasting as an icon. I th-
0: as this podcast is being recorded, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Broadway shows have been shut down since mid-March. Regional theaters did not have their seasons this year. Is there anything that you have learned about yourself during this time?
1: I think as much as I think I'm an, an extremely impatient person, um, I'm much more patient than I than I guess I, I understood before. Um I've seen a lot of people talking about and posting about the idea that you have to sort of put aside the idea that you have to be productive every single day when you wake up, you know? I think I struggle with that. Sometimes I almost feel guilty that I didn't do, you know, 15 things today. Even if I don't have a deadline, it feels like if I don't do something that I deem productive, that I've just had this horrible wasted day. And in reality... I haven't, Um, you know, I'm just trying to do my best to stay, to stay occupied. And sometimes that doesn't always mean um, growing as an artist necessarily in the, in the, I don't know in the sort of classic way of of meaning it's not like i'm I'm taking voice lessons every day. I'm not necessarily playing three hours of guitar every day, but sometimes I'm just reading articles or reading books or listening to music, and I'm just again trying to do my best to not only stay occupied but you know, to, 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 yes, grow as an artist, but not necessarily in the most conventional ways, I guess.
0: Scott, did you have a practice schedule before the pandemic? Is there anything that has changed since we've all been unable to gather?
1: No, I don't really have, I don't know. I've never been good at budgeting time in that sense for myself. Um, I'm a very on-time person. I'm the person who gets to rehearsal, you know, half hour before. I'm at the theater, you know, well before an hour before the curtain goes up. Um, so in that sense, I'm very sort of on time and stick to a schedule. But I don't really do not really do that in my personal life or my, my life when I'm sort of creating or practicing at home. Um, when I was creating the show at, for 54 Below, I really just, I didn't really have to create that because I was so into it. I was really into just... Trying to figure out what songs would go in the best order while keeping them chronological, and oh, I don't like this one. I think maybe I should cut two choruses out of this one because it's a little bit long. Um, I don't know. I just that I was just so motivated to do it. I think because I was excited to create something, and I was mo- and I was just motivated to do it because I, I, you know, I'd booked the. I'd booked the time at fifty four below, and so I kind of didn't have a choice. There was no procrastination because I, you know, I had to do it. But yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have sort of a set schedule as far as that goes. I'm trying to do that with uh, staying in shape and, you know, taking walks and doing home workouts. But um, as far as practicing, I don't, I don't necessarily do that.
0: How did you get your equity card?
1: I was lucky enough to get my equity card. Uh, to do the first national tour of million dollar quartet. The union for me was never a thing where I you know was reluctant to join. I basically said, I will know when the time is right and it will the opportunity will present itself and I I was more than glad and over overjoyed to uh to take my card when they offered me the first national. Yeah, I think um yeah, it really. I mean, honestly, getting your card is obviously very much a a personal journey. I mean, for some people, it's just never right. For some people, it's it's right early on. Uh, I just never really had much of an opportunity. I was working pretty constantly um, into you know into my late twenties, early thirties, which is crazy to say now, uh, but I was, and so I just hadn't really thought about it. But I desperately wanted Million Dollar Quartet, and so you know after doing so, you know, so many auditions and callbacks and finally getting it, I mean, there was no question in my mind that it was my the right time to take my card and uh, you know, I wish I had had an opportunity to get it earlier. Yeah, I, there are just so many things. I mean, yes, of course, there are, there are things about any organization or about any union that sort of people want to butt their butt heads about. There's a lot then going on recently that thankfully has been sort of... Um, all resolved but you know i just for me it's it's the right fit always has been since i've been a member wish i had been a member longer and yeah it is frustrating i mean you know i was on that first national tour for four years uh it afforded me the ability to do a lot money wise It, it it showed me the world, um, I would not trade it for for anything. But to know that immediately after our tour closed, it went back out non-union and, and, yes, was essentially using our our marketing and using everything to say that, well, this is the same show. Well, it's not the same show. They were getting paid less than a quarter of what we were getting paid and and didn't have any of these health benefits or safety, you know, any of the safety safeguards out there on the road. So, yeah, it is. that's something I think is very important to to getting into the minds of young people. Again, it's not like they're going to just be able to walk into a store and pick up their card and, you know, plunk down $5 for it. It's not that easy, but for them to understand why it is important to become part of the union, I think, is very important.
0: Where do you currently live, Scott?
1: Uh, I live in the Bronx with my wife. Uh, We just got married at the end of September. As you can imagine, it was extremely difficult to continue planning and uh, executing a wedding during a pandemic, but it all came off without a hitch and everyone was safe. And we have, I don't know, we've we have been enjoying the last couple of months of, of wedded bliss together. We were always having it outside. Um, it was always under sort of a tent. I don't mean sort of a tent. It was a pretty substantial tent. Uh, but, the you know, the sides of the tent were up. So in effect, we were kept out of the rain, but, you know, the whole thing was aerated. Um, so really the only thing that changed was, um, the number of people. I mean, we were hoping to have originally, you know, in a perfect non-pandemic world, we were hoping to have about 90 people there. And, um, you know, just because of state regulations and just people's, um, own safety that they decided not to not to come, we whittled it down to about 40 people, and it turned out to be perfect. You know, again, we wish we could have celebrated with everybody, but we're just so glad that everybody made their own decisions to stay as safe as they, you know, to do what they felt was the best, and so we had some people we wished had been there that stayed home, and we had a lot of people there that we were so glad came, and You know, hopefully, when everything's all said and done, and we all are vaccinated and feeling better, we can all just go out and have a couple of parties for everyone who wasn't able to be there.
0: How did you find artistic representation? In other words, how did you get your agent?
1: Um, I to (laughs) to quote the show I do all the time. uh, I fell in the luck bucket as far as the uh, as far as the agent is concerned. Um my dear friend and actually he was my the best man at my wedding uh James Berry um he uh he's one of the more most talented actors and performers i know um he's also a great musician he was uh he was on broadway and at the public in the original production of uh, bloody bloody andrew jackson um he's also done these paper bullets uh he did it at the atlantic in town and he also did it at the Oh, where, uh, a Yale rep, I guess he did not do the production out at the Geffen. Anyway, he, he's an amazing performer. And he's with the Krasny office. And, um, you know, I, I was on the national tour for four years. And the first two years, I was the understudy for Johnny Cash and for Sam Phillips. And the third year, third and fourth year, I took over as Johnny. And at that point, I was like, okay, I've, I've been an equity member for two years, and I'm taking over this role. And I feel like I got a i got to have an agent when I get get back to the city after all of this is said and done. So I just started asking people about their agents, and he was like, oh, my agent's great, actually. He's coming to see the show. Um, You know, I mean, I can put in a good word. It's not like he'll just kind of sign you or anything, but, you know, I can put in a good word for you. And I said, okay. So we were in uh, Morristown, New Jersey, and uh, he was supposed to have, I guess, four people from the office come and see the show, and there was this bad snowstorm, so I think only one of them came. Uh, I met I met Gary Krasny backstage very briefly. He handed me a card. Uh, he said he liked my performance, and I assumed that was going to be it. So I, I I emailed him very a very kind sort of thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. I hope to hear from you soon. Email, assuming I would never hear from him again. And the next day, I got a package. Um, I got a, an email with all these attachments for like how to add TKO to my to my um, resume and like. And I was like, wait, what, wait, what just happened? And so I asked, and I asked James about it. And he was like, oh yeah, they loved you. They're like, this is a freelance thing for the moment. Like basically they're going to, you know, freelance for a year. And if they like you, they're going to sign you. And I was like, oh, like really? That's all, that's all that happened. They came to see the show and that was it. He was like, yep. I mean, not to... This is certainly not tooting my own horn this is more about the agency but it certainly worked out for them I mean they had the both of us on the national on the First National Tour million dollar quartet for two of those years you know once I once they um once I was freelancing with them for that one year then they signed me at the end of the third year of tour so going into the fourth year I was technically now with them and that summer before that I got my first and only up to this point um television show episodes
0: one of the things I've been thinking about is not just actors are unemployed right now but agents casting directors there's no projects live right now
1: yeah I mean unfortunately you know they are a small office but um you know most most of them had to be furloughed for now you know so but they're you know Gar- I I have every faith in in Gary and the Krasny office I mean he's I think he's been around for about 45 years so I I don't I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon but yeah I, I really hope that everything I think that's one of those things that people don't fully understand that by not by our industry being shut down it's not just It's not just actors. It's not just musicians. It's so many people out there that are affected. And, you know, agents are certainly not the least of that.
0: And it's not just the agents, too. It's all the wonderful people that they have working in their offices, the assistants, the administrative staff. All of them are not working right now. So I just want to give a shout-out to all the agents, casting directors, anyone who works in their offices we got to hang in there just a little bit longer. We'll get through this. I would like to thank Scott Moreau for spending time with us today on the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast. You can find him at scottmoreau.com, S-C-O-T-T-M-L-R-E-A-U.com. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode.